You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 42, Preparing Someone to Hear the Gospel Message. So often, we think that the first step of evangelization is to explicitly spell out the gospel message to another person. In this episode, evangelist and Bible scholar Thomas Smith challenges that notion, explaining how evangelization can start with one very simple question. Stay tuned to hear what that question is, and you'll find that speaking to someone about the faith is easier than you think. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We're back today with Thomas Smith. You may have listened to our previous podcast with him. If not, you can push pause on this one and go back and listen to him um, right now, talking about his journey from Mormonism to the Baptist faith to the Catholic faith. And uh, today we're going to talk to him a little more about working in parish ministry and um, get a little more of his story as well. Thomas is, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's a, an international parish mission and conference speaker. He's a frequent guest on EWTN. He's co-author and author of many of our programs and um, an international presenter for the the Great Adventure Bible Study as well. So welcome back, Thomas. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to just get right in. You, at one point in your life, maybe 10 years ago, you were the, the director of the Denver Catholic Biblical School and the Denver Catechetical School. And I know you intentionally left that to go into uh, parish life and to do uh, parish missions, and I think that was quite a, uh, a leap of faith on on your part. And I'd love to just kind of get your your um, get your part of your story there, like how what prompted that. Um, tell me about the the trusting the Holy Spirit to move forward and all that all that stuff. Yeah, I you know I, I like you have met people in the Catholic Church and especially in ministry who get burnout, and I think one of the causes of burnout is we're put, put in positions or we have areas of responsibility that don't match up with our spiritual gifts. And so I love to teach scripture. I, I taught at the biblical school, and eventually uh, I was asked to be the director of the school, which involved a lot of administration. So we had seven, 800 uh, students that we took through 73 books of the Bible, and then the catechetical school was responsible for ongoing education of 900-plus Catholic school instructors. So I found my life was heavy in administration, and I don't I could. I was a competent administrator, but I didn't have that charism of administration. Paul talks about these charisms in Scripture, and if you're in a position where you don't have the charism and you continue in that position, eventually it's going to start uh, stripping your spirit. It's like a, a dishcloth that gets uh, wrung out. And so I started to experience that spiritually, and that's where I started going back and trying to reroute myself and where my gifts were. My gifts were in teaching and preaching and working in a pastoral setting with people. So I just took a leap of faith that God will open doors if I start to live in my gifts. And that's really precisely what happened. So Hmm. I encourage people from RCIA to people in the pew to spend some time thinking about where your spiritual giftedness is and then plug into those ministries where there's a match, because that's when there's going to be real flourishing. It doesn't mean that ministry isn't exhausting, but there's a, a kind of joy uh, and vivification that happens when you're when you're living out of your gifts, and that's what happened for me. Mm. 
That's huge. And I think if we can help people identify those gifts, because so many people wander around just not sure even, you know, what their what their gifts are or or think they don't have any, you know, and, and it's and, and God doesn't make anyone um, without any gifts. He's given us something he wants us to give back for his to grow his kingdom and, and his glory. So um, any ideas on on how we could do that, how we could help people kind of uh, identify those? Yeah, I started to do it in RCIA by just talking about uh in fact, I tell our RCIA candidates, there's a precise reason why the Lord brought you to this parish. And we are so excited to have you because you're going to be bringing gifts to this community that for one reason or another, we are deficient in those gifts. So there's a reason why you're coming into the Catholic Church, not just a doctrinal reasons or because your spouse is Catholic, but because the Lord discerns this community needs what you can bring to the table. There's wonderful programs out there like uh, Sherry Waddell's uh, Called and Gifted that helps people discern and discover and deploy their spiritual gifts. But I think most people can just start looking at where, not even just your natural talents are, but where your attraction is. For example, we had one RCIA candidate who, when she opened a newspaper and saw some kind of tragedy, her immediate impulse was to start praying for the people in that situation. So she had a gift of intercessory prayer. And so what did we plug her into? We plugged her into the prayer chain ministry in the parish, and she flourished in that. So it's just taking a little time, I think, to look at what people are passionate about and what attracts them, and then finding a matching ministry in the parish that you can immediately plug them into. And sometimes that'll take some time you know, for them to, to find that place. But once they do, uh, you, you see them there every Sunday after that. I learned that I can tie a really good double knot. And so I'm still trying to find where I can plug that into the parish somewhere. And, uh, yeah, yeah, there there is Our Lady uh, Untire of Knots, so maybe you can promote uh, that ministry. I think it'd be a perfect, there you perfect go, matchup for you. There you go. Answer my question. <laughs> so I want to ask you about the kerygma. Um, I don't know if people even know what that word is. It's a it's an old Greek word, and I'll just let you talk about it. But but um, we want to spend some time talking about the kerygma. But first of all, let's just what what. What does that mean? It's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A, kerygma. And Thomas, what does that mean? Yeah, I, I call it the kerygma enigma because <laughs> most Catholics have no idea what it is. And what it simply, it means literally preaching, but it means the initial proclamation of the gospel to someone. So this is before catechesis. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, you, you remember in Mass, we used to say Christ is risen, Christ, uh, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. In a sense, that's a kerygma. Or on Ash Wednesday, we hear someone say to us when they ash our forehead, repent and believe the gospel. Or Jesus, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's typically how we've talked about kerygma. But as you mentioned, in our kind of post-Christian world, words like repentance aren't heard the same way as they would have been in ancient times. Most people, when they hear repentance, it, you, you're basically saying to them, you're a bad person. That's how most people hmm. experience it. So how do we approach giving someone an initial proclamation in our age when they have become so cynical to words like repent, for example? And so I tend to take the, the kingdom approach, and that is that Jesus says he's bringing a kingdom. The kingdom is at hand, and that means it's it's within your reach. You can finally grasp it. And what is this kingdom? It's that God is love that he created the human person for a life of love. He created us to have joy and peace and to experience truth and beauty and goodness, and most importantly, to have meaning for our life. And that reality that he wants to give us, which is full human flourishing, 
Jesus called that reality the kingdom. And that's something that isn't just pie in the sky in the future. That kingdom can begin now. And my experience is that's what most people are struggling with today. They're looking for identity. They're looking for community. They're looking for some kind of purpose or vision for their life. So we have to adapt that initial proclamation to the felt needs of the community to which we're speaking now. And Paul did this. You know, he when he's speaking to a Jewish audience, he would speak about Jesus as the fulfillment of Jewish expectations. But when he's speaking to the Greeks in Athens, uh, he begins by quoting their poets and their philosophers. And mm. he uses the temple of the unknown God in Athens as a, a jumping off point to introduce them to God in Christ. So I think we have to be really creative now about how do we communicate the core nutshell of the gospel. And that idea of kingdom, even though that's another kind of church word, it, it can encompass that whole idea of the, the full life that God wants us to have. And in that, embedded in that is a life of meaning and purpose and significance. And around that kerygma has to be some other key elements and characteristics. Even before we can proclaim the gospel or give that initial message, there has to be some other elements in play too. Okay, so let me so let me try and recap, and then I'll ask you how how we how we do that, how we prepare someone to um, to receive it. So, um, you and I were talking offline about uh, the early church proclaiming the kerygma in a pre-Christian world. You know, Christ had just had just risen; it was a pagan world. Christianity had not spread yet, and so it was a brand new message. And, and the idea, like you said, of the word repentance um, had meaning and had weight to them. But we live now in a post-Christian world where those some of those terms have kind of lost their meaning, or it, it turns people away because they think we're judging them or telling them they're doing something wrong. So you're saying proclaiming it now in a post-Christian world would be focusing on um, their role in the kingdom and, and who they are, focusing on their their life has meaning, it has purpose, um, they have an identity, and that identity is, is, a, is a son or daughter of God, and focusing on that aspect of proclaiming the kerygma. Is that what you're, what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I think every human person acknowledges there's they feel like something at their core is missing. It's that Christ-shaped void in every human heart. So people are trying to satisfy this deep longing, and C.S. Lewis says that's one of the great evidences of God, that the fact we're longing for something that nothing in this world can satisfy. C.S. Lewis once said that when people recognize that nothing in this world is satisfying, their deepest longing. That's one of the greatest evidences that they're not made for this world. So everyone's kind of experiencing that dynamic, and that's why I'm saying it's a good jumping-off point for talking about the kerygma with someone, because people are looking for identity. Families have fallen apart. Gender identity is a big issue now. People trying to find community and some kind of a purpose or engaging something greater than themselves. So that's where the church needs to to turn to and make that our starting point, is my, my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, if nothing natural is satisfying us, then it's got to be something supernatural that we're longing for. So tell me about a time where you've witnessed people getting excited about proclaiming the, the Caribbean. Like I know that you teach uh, focused missionaries during their training at Ave Maria. Yeah, you know where I see people get excited is when you, you can convince them that it's possible for them to do, for the ordinary person to do. Focused missionaries are very already outward focused, but the person in the parish in the pew, it just seems so out of the ordinary for them to, to talk about the kerygma with someone. So that's why I say there has to be some other elements in place that we can all engage that can prepare us to share that. And the very first thing I tell people is that parishes should create a, a do-ask, do-tell culture. Hmm. 
So I think it's Sherry Waddell that famously said, we have a don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to sharing our faith in the Catholic Church. Uh, 60-plus percent of Catholics seldom or ever talk about their faith with someone else. So how do we create a culture in the parish where it's okay not only to talk about faith, but more importantly, to listen? That has to be the prerequisite. And Pope Francis spoke about this in Evangelium Gaudium, that before we can even begin to propose the good news to someone else, that person has to first feel like they have been heard by us. That is, we have to listen to their story first. So what I challenge people to do that gets them excited because it's something everyone can do is when you're on an airplane or you're in a setting that you're meeting someone is you can simply ask the question, what's your story? It's just that simple. What's your story? And although sometimes people get shocked to have someone ask them that, I've never had anyone tell me no uh, in sharing their story. And in the telling of people's own journey, and they're going to approach it from different angles, there's almost always some kind of spiritual thread I can pull. But more importantly, I'm authentically listening to this other person. And most people have never had someone actually listen to them in a really profound way, or it's a very rare dynamic. So if nothing else, we're training our heart to listen to other people. We're increasing our own comfort levels with engaging people. And we simply listen to that other person's story. And what always happens naturally from that is when a person feels like they've really been heard, I don't interject and judge any moment of their story, then their natural response when turning to me after they finish speaking is to say what? Well, hey, what's your story, buddy? Mm -hmm. And then I have the perfect opportunity to talk about my journey and particularly my spiritual journey, and then you can interject the charisma uh, into that. So it's very natural. It doesn't have to be any kind of imposition of content upon them, but first really listening to them. And when we hear their story, we can then begin to tailor the charisma to whatever the felt need of that person is that we discover through the story. Another easy way to practice it is tattoos are ubiquitous now. I mean, they're just everywhere. So my favorite thing to do now is, as I say to people, hey, every tattoo has a great story. What's your favorite story to tell about one of your tattoos? Mm. And, and I just listen to that story. And almost always there is something really significant, unless they got it, you know, after getting drunk at a bar one night, but they're not going to usually pick that tattoo out. They're going to pick out the tattoo that reminds them of that grandmother who took care of them when their, their parents left their life or some significant individual in their life or experience they encountered. And then that can become a jumping off point. Even if I don't have a lot of time to talk to them, just asking that you know, at, of a barista at Starbucks, I'm still training my heart to be someone who listens to people's stories. And mm-hmm. if I have more time with them, I can get some skin in the game and, and really engage that story more. But the main thing is it's creating a culture that is do ask and do tell. So that's why I encourage parishes, if you've got a coffee and donuts gathering after your mass, put some little table tents there that give some questions for conversation and create a culture where people regularly are asking other people to share their story, and then learning to share their own, and are beginning to articulate their own spiritual journey in a short, meaningful paragraph that they can share whenever the opportunity uh, comes their way. That's great. People, one, people love talking about themselves, and so you're giving them an opportunity. Um, two, two, it's non-threatening, and three, it's not um, quote-unquote churchy. If you just ask them their story, not necessarily um, their spiritual journey or, or some kind of question that's going to be intimidating and or, or push them away. You can ask a total stranger, tell me your story. And most people will, um, 
want to engage in that and want to just tell you their story and then you can pull out the threads. That's that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, and, and you can do that with Catholics and non Catholics. I mean, anywhere you go, that, that can be your your dynamic. Right. Starbucks, airplane, yeah, walking the dog. So asking someone to share their story would be one way to, you know, quote unquote prepare someone to receive the kerygma. Are there what are some other ways people can can do that because somebody might not be in a position to receive the kerygma. So what are some of the things we can do to prepare somebody to receive it? If you have time with somebody, uh, Pope Francis talks about this a lot, the art of accompaniment, you know, just being a friend to someone, coming alongside them, uh, to be there for them when they have questions. I had someone like that, you know, in my life coming into the Catholic Church. The, the other thing I would encourage people to do is take uh, that individual with them in some kind of service uh, scenario. There's a there's a book that came out a few years ago, I don't know if you've read it, Alan, called uh, I Once Was Lost, what postmodern skeptics are saying about why why they came to Jesus, even though they were raised in non-religious homes. And one of the themes that that book talks about is just having a Christian say, hey, Friday night I'm going down to hand out sandwiches under the bridge, or Saturday I'm going to be serving at the soup kitchen. Come with me. Mm. And when people saw Christianity lived on the ground in an authentic, meaningful way, that was engaging to them. That gave authenticity to the content of the faith. There's Everyone is so cynical now because we've seen so much counterfeit Christianity. Mm. So when they see a, a someone who doesn't just proclaim themselves to be Christian, and then we discover in their personal life they're something other than that, they're actually seeing Christianity lived out in the lives of people in their own city. So take them to some kind of service. And as that relationship continues to develop, uh, let them hear you pray to God. So I, I tell Catholics all the time, Every one of us is asked by someone to pray for them on a regular basis. Instead of just saying, yeah, I'll add you to the list, let that person hear you pray to God, because that lived, life-giving conversation that you express in your prayer is going to resonate heartstrings very deep inside every human being, because that's the conversation we're made for. Mm -hmm. We're made to have that relationship. So when we hear someone else pray, when we have the great advantage of eavesdropping into someone else's prayer life, uh, we can see what relationship can look like, how someone can conversationally talk to God and be engaged with God. And, uh, so th- those are just some, some kind of simple ways. And there, again, that's any, any one of us can do that. We don't need to have a theological degree to take someone with us in service or to let them in on our, our prayer life and our experience of prayer. Because that's both of those experiences are going to resonate with the core of the human person that we're made to be gift and we're made for this conversation, which is, a lived relationship with the God that made us. Hmm. Thomas, I don't always chime in here, but um, I have a question for you. I'm listening and I'm nodding along to everything you're saying. It's awesome. Um, something that I've personally struggled with, and I've, I was actually talking to my husband about it last night, is is kind of understanding um, when you when you start to ask somebody about their life, there like messy things come up, and it might come out that that person is is publicly living something that's completely contrary to what I believe. Um, and it's really tempting. It, well, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's really difficult to be in the position of wanting to just re- really affirm that person for being a person that you, you love and just um, entering into that kind of uh, friendship that you're kind of talking about. And on the other hand, not wanting to scandalized by coming across as if you um, necessarily accept everything that's going on in that person's life. 
Um, so how do you walk that line of that non-judgmental listening um, and also that line of, of holding true to, to what you believe? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing I would ask myself is what's my intention in that conversation? Is my intention to correct or is my intention just to enter into their lived experience? And typically in these initial conversations, you don't want to correct. And just your silence isn't, isn't a sense to their lifestyle. I'll, I'll just normally say something like, you know, if someone had a bad experience with the church, for example, I'll say, wow, that is um, really painful sounding what you experienced with the church. And, and I can't apologize for that person, but can I apologize on behalf of my faith for what you experienced? Like what I hear a lot are, experiences people had with someone hurting them in the church, even sometimes it can, you know, devolve into uh, them being sexually abused in the church. So it's just uh, resonating with where their pain points are, especially that they've had the courage to actually share their pain points. It's only when you, you have a lived relationship with that person that you can start to engage where their life isn't conforming with the kingdom or the gospel. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's just not coming from a place of love. It's when you know the person that you can truly love them, and then then that comes out in in the experience. And most often, I've found that people I don't even have to be the one that brings it up. Mm-hmm. People will often say to me, "You know, how does that square with what the Catholic Church teaches?" Mm. And so, so they're, they they want to know, you mm-hmm. know, how that's going to to resonate. So, so I I it it is a tightrope, like you say, but especially in those initial conversations, my intention is to hear mm-hmm. and just listen to their experience. And then as the opportunities naturally are going to present themselves for me to engage, come back and circle back and engage parts of those stories, then I'll look for those opportunities to, to do that. And oftentimes it's going to happen in conversations when you're doing service or you're doing something else. And that conversation can kind of be going on in the background. So it's not so intensive. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Say you go down to the soup kitchen and then you can in, engage it or you're doing some something else together. Yeah. So I think there's ways to engage sense. it. We just, uh, I think uh, we all have a tendency to want to fix something or solve the problem or we, d- we don't want to be perceived as um, mitigating or diminishing anything the church teaches. But it's such a, if, if I've learned anything about conversion over the last decade, it's that conversion is such a mysterious process and it happens over extended periods of time. And we may be only one person uh, that enters that, that individual's life at a certain trajectory mm. that, that can just feed some love and joy and acceptance into that person's life for them to later have someone else come and build on, on what we've done. So I, I don't go in with the intention of getting it all out there at once. We don't mm-hmm. want to vomit the charisma on them, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we don't want to vomit the moral teaching of the church on them. It's, uh, and I think, Alan, you mentioned this quote not long ago that, that Paul VI said, what the world needs now are, are witnesses, not teachers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when they've seen an authentic lived witness where someone is loving them profoundly, listening to them profoundly, accompanying them on their journey uh, in a meaningful way, that then they're going to be open to the, the content of the gospel, and especially the moral teachings of the church, because it's coming out of a place of, of a friend speaking mm-hmm. them. It, it kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. If you're, if you're in line at the grocery store and you feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit to ask someone something and maybe to get to go that far as to ask them their story, and it's a really long line, so you have time to have that conversation maybe. Um, my, point, my point is you may not be 
God may not be asking you to to fill that role of correction or to tell you even you tell your story, but just to like there may just be this per, your this point in this person's life that moment you're to fill a certain role and need the Lord need, needs you to fill, and then next week next month he or she may encounter somebody else, and the next the next round of that process of conversion is going to be happening. It may be with somebody else. Um, so, so we don't necessarily need to do all the work of, of conversion and get the correct amount to everybody every time we, we engage in that conversation. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? Right. And the church has always distinguished between kerygma and catechesis, or D to K. Kerygma is the initial invitation to this ex- offering of life and love that Jesus is is extending to everybody. Catechesis comes after that, so there has to be that first kerygma that's incarnational, that's coming through a, a living person's life, and then the catechesis can follow that. And that's that's even the difficulty we face, I think, in the Catholic Church. And I think Doctor Italy, it seems like, touched on this as well. Is even in our in our catechesis, uh, or rather, that's where we began. Uh, really, for the last couple of centuries, is we began with catechesis, and there was never any kerygma. So all we gave people was an armload of faith facts and no relationship. And it's the same principle here. Uh, the kerygma will have impact when it's united to a lived relationship with, with us, and we're building into that person's life, and then the catechesis can follow. Or it might be an experience where I'm only going to meet that person once for 15 minutes. Uh, in that small moment of time, how can my listening create an environment that they say, wow, this person who is Christian just listened to to me, or this human being just listened to me, that's preparing and opening their heart for a, a later encounter they might have with someone down the road. And I think that's part of what heaven is going to be. I don't know if you guys think much about what we're going to be doing forever. Sometimes uh, um, that uh, stupefies me. But I think one of the things God is going to show us is this rich network of relationships that got us to heaven. Uh, it's going to be very little of what we did ourselves that got us there. It's going to be so many other mm-hmm. people speaking and 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 praying into our life. And we're going to see the rich tapestry of all the lives we encountered, even for a brief moment. And that intersection on their journey towards Christ, we we move them along that continuum towards Christ a little bit closer by expressing joy, by showing love, by listening to their story, and then looking for little ways to plant seeds. So it's really a kind of farmer mentality. Uh, I'm planting seeds, and someone else is going to water that. Paul talks about that to the Corinthians. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the increase. Mm-hmm. To not to not put so much of a burden on ourselves that we've got to unload the church's entire moral teaching, or that we have to be the, the person that corrects at that stage, but fundamentally building relationship where there's a place of trust now to speak that into their life. Mm-hmm. I'm worried I'm going to get up there and see all the times I push somebody away from Christ. And uh, think, oh man, <laughs> do yeah, I still get to come in? <laughs> maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's what purgatory will be. You know, there is a purification, recognizing, mm-hmm. wow, here's all the thousands of times I resisted grace, or I didn't speak when I got that impulse. I should have spoken to that person's life or comforted that person, and I just thought, you know, I've got my own stuff. Uh, that and and that's what the saints talk about. Purgatory is the the, the purification of our self interest. Mm-hmm. when we acted in ways contrary to the gospel. And that's got to all be kind of burned out for us to be the vessel to, to receive the fullness of love, that, mm-hmm. that final union and communion with God we call heaven. Yep. Man, so good. So, Thomas, we're running out of time. If somebody wants to, would love to have you come speak at their 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 parish or, or diocese, how can someone get a hold of you to invite you to come uh, uh, lead a mission? Yeah, they can visit my website. It's uh, www.gen.com. 
215.org. And I've got some teachings there. I've got my schedule there. They can click on my name and contact me about coming. About 80% of what I do now is Lenten missions and parish missions and clergy retreats. So I'd, I'd love to get in a dialogue with people about how I can serve with them the body of Christ. Wow. Yeah. He spoke, just for our listeners out there, he spoke at um, our Ascension Summit uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. Everyone was moved by his witness and his um, presentation that he gave. So if you have not had him come out, I would really encourage you to do so. He's awesome. So thank you so much, Thomas, for spending some time with us today, sharing your life and a little bit of what you do and your insight and wisdom that you have. Uh, It's been such a joy to be with you, and thank you for this podcast. It's so needed at there's so many people out there giving so much great service in the church and programs like this really helps them and encourages them and to continue to be faithful to our King and his kingdom. So thank you for all that you do. It really is um, our pleasure. There's a lot of, a lot of very wise people out there and we just need to find them and ask them the right questions. And hopefully we can bring some renewal to um, people's lives that are working in ministry. Cause that's kind of the, our focus of uh, this this ministry, if you will, is to is to keep people engaged, um, on fire, and and um, in their work, and help them give them some tools, hopefully, to to do their uh, ministry a little better. So, thank you, Thomas Smith, so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. For our listeners, please rate and review us in iTunes. If you're listening to us using the Apple Podcast app on your phone, you can do it right now. It takes less than one minute. And it'll help us get this podcast out there to support other good people such as yourselves who are out there listening, who are who need something to tune into to help them, who are strung out, burnt out, and, and just looking for a lifeline. So please rate us and review us on iTunes if you can. If you want to leave us a comment or send us an email, you can do so at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. And speaking of, I want to ask our listeners, a couple of weeks ago we had Father Michael on the podcast and we were talking about pastors and getting along with pastors and how can you help build that relationship with your pastor. And so we want to hear from you guys. So let us know if uh, you have a good relationship, if you have a bad relationship, if if you're working on that, tell us the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can send us an email and let us know, or if it's too long, you can send us a voice note. Um, you can revo- record a voice note and send it to us um, via email as well, and maybe we'll play it on our next episode. So There's cool stuff happening at Ascension Press. Please continue to tune in and just check out the website. Things are going to be changing here in the next few months, and uh, some really good stuff is coming. So so log on to ascensionpress.com and check out the new and exciting programs that are coming out, and, of course, all the free resources that are out there. So take care, God bless, and we'll see you next time. Peace.